The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for tuning in today, being present with me and joining me on this gray day here in San Diego. Although I I shouldn't complain. You know, we need the rain. (laughs) We're always uh, complaining that we don't have enough rain here. So we've been getting a lot of it over the past week or so. So I'm actually enjoying it. So we're here live, as I am always, uh, doing the live show here on Unity Online Radio. And if you feel like joining in and joining the conversation, the number to call is 816-251-3555. I love to hear from you. Because today, I think a lot of people are going to resonate with the topic and maybe see themselves in what we're going to be discussing today. So I'm sure we've all experienced a dark night in the soul when things just don't go our way and we suffer. You know, Buddhists talk about this as part of the human experience, one of the four noble truths is suffering. And it's how we deal with life suffering, I think, that makes the difference. Our, whatever, you know, we're going to be going through in this life, we're all going to have some dark moments. And my guest today, Bridget Jackson Buckley, describes her own dark night of the soul in her book, The Gift of Crisis. And Bridget was one of the 8.8 million people who lost their jobs and experienced foreclosure during the recession that started in 2007. And Bridget realized that playing the victim wasn't working and the only place to go to handle what was happening was within. And in the book, she shares how to deepen your trust in a higher intelligence and higher purpose and how to welcome change with grace. So I want to welcome Bridget to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Diane. Thank you. Well, your story is going to be so familiar to so many people, and I want to thank you for sharing it so honestly in the book. I mean, you really relate everything, no holds barred, of what you went through. So I just wanted you to share a little bit with the audience of what kind of, um, what the experience was. I mean, what spurred you to eventually write the book? Well, I've I've always liked writing. I've kept journals since I was in the fourth grade, and I still have every single one of them. And for a long time, I always knew that I wanted to write a book. I just didn't know what it would be about. And I didn't trust that I had something uh, very valid to speak about. You know, I was I was young thinking, well, I don't have a lot of life experience. What am I going to write about? So that that was always there. But there was always an inner urging and impulse to write, but I just, I only acted on it in the form of a journal. So when we were going through the financial situations, the crisis uh, with the house, I did continually have like one side, it felt like one side of my brain was always saying, well, you should write, you should write. And it was counteracted by the other side saying, well, I don't know that I have anything to write. And I also felt like most of my energy needed to be placed into worrying about how we would deal with our finances, because what was going on is that we had recently moved into a house that my husband renovated, um, completely, completely renovated. And after I'd say about 
what was it, maybe like five months or three, three to five months, somewhere along those lines after we moved into the house, he was hospitalized um, with severe symptoms for the onset of a stroke and he was only 33 years old. And at that time I was at home with our youngest daughter and we had uh, two children at the time. So he was the primary provider for us financially and with him being hospitalized and then coming out of that situation, not being able to work for a period of months, like we depleted our savings and the situation just went downhill very, very quickly. Uh, there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of um, just resentment on both of our parts and a tremendous amount of fear as we didn't know how we were going to deal with this situation and to make, um, as the story is chronicled in the book, we did end up losing the home and dealing with foreclosure, um, which was very, very difficult for us. But when we moved into the new place where we were living, we took ourselves with us and the subconscious and unconscious conditions of, that we had surrounding a poverty mentality and consciousness of lack and like I said, the fear and the anger, we took all of that with us. So we experienced the same financial crisis going on um, even after losing the house. And because the situation um, was difficult financially, I could not afford to go to therapy, although I definitely would have gone. So what I did have at my disposal was the public library system. And I would stop at the library several times a week when I dropped the kids off at school. Um, and I would read books about spirituality, self-help and personal growth. And I started to notice that the books pretty much were saying the same thing in the same way that your thoughts, intentions, and consciousness create your outer experience. And so it really compelled me to go within and to utilize some of the suggestions within that were outlined in the books like meditation and prayer and cultivating a sincere, intimate relationship with the presence and really examining what we are, the energy that we're bringing to a situation. So to answer your question, Diane, I started writing more in my journals because I went into a meditative state. Um, I did have periods of meditating just to quiet my mind, but another form of meditation that I used was posing questions during that meditative state. And the book uh, shows how I literally sat down on my bed and wrote down the guidance that came through through the meditation. And that ultimately is what led to the book. Well, I really love the process that you share in the book that you went through. And I also like that you mentioned uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer and the power of intention as okay. one of the books that was a catalyst for change for you, because um, I'm a big fan of Dr. Dyer's and I, I worked with him for a long time and he, he was such a great, a great teacher for me as well. So I, I love to read that when I saw that pop up in the book, I'm like, oh, that, that's so great. And also, you know, I wanted to point out too, you know, that you're, when your husband had that um, medical emergency, I mean, you know, all of us, or not all of us, so many of us, I mean, even myself included, I mean, if that happened to me, you know, if my husband today right now had something catastrophic like that happen, I mean, financially, I don't know how many months that I would really be able to, to hang on, you know, so I think a lot of us don't realize like how, how close that we are to being in that situation. Really, anything like that can happen to any of us. So it's it's tough. It was tough reading that because I remember being in 
similar situations where I was unemployed and looking for work and just all of those feelings that kind of spiral spiral around those experiences. And one of the things that, that came up, you know, when something catastrophic happens, very often we say, why me? You know, mm -hmm. I'm doing everything right. And you kind of went through that too. Like, why is this happening to me? You know, oh, I went to college. I did this. I, I was doing everything right. And I mean, how did you reconcile that, those feelings? Very, very, very good points, because that, that is true. I mean, you said a couple of things that I'd like to touch on. Um, it was extremely difficult when, when he was hospitalized. We did not see that coming. And it, it was, I know just with me speaking about it now in the short time that we have, it sounds like it was a very simple experience. But this, this took place over the course of years. You know, he was ill. He couldn't work. I mean, the stress was just, it was nothing like I had ever experienced. And when you're going through a crisis situation like that, you may have familial support and social support from friends, but it only goes so far because they have their own lives. And, you know, you can go to someone's house and it's so heavily on your mind that you want to talk about it. But then at some point, you need to just stop talking about it. Like there's nothing else that they can say. You're regurgitating the story too much and you almost get tired of hearing yourself say it, but that's where you are and that's what you're dealing with. So a lot of the times when I was just out in the world, be it going to my parents' house, um, a friend coming over or uh, dropping the kids at school or even grocery shopping, I was so tense and tight. My body felt so tight. I was just so worried like that there would be another disaster that just came about that we couldn't deal with. And so what I found with meditation is that when we would come home from school after I picked the kids up and maybe didn't stop at the library that day, I would get their snack and I would go straight into the bedroom, close the door, close the blinds and sit down on the bed and literally just meditate for about 15 minutes because I started to notice that after the meditation, I literally felt calmer. I could feel a physiological response of like my muscles relaxing so that I could actually interact with my family and not be in such the agitated state that I was, let's say maybe earlier that day. And the more I started to do that, those periods of being calmer they they endured for a longer period of time. They weren't just like I was calm for an hour and, you know, then it went away. Like it started to last for a longer period of time. And then also during meditation, um, I started to notice how much my mind wanted to create problems. So, for example, even if I meditated and felt calm, after a period of time, I noticed like that agitation might come back and like my mind was just like, I mean, it was, it was just endless of like, well, what if this happens? And what if this, what if they show up? What if this is turned off? And so I was able to see that that was contributing to more of the problems. So I had to go into a severe state of reflection and quietude to just simply calm myself, to make it easier to deal with. And then also you brought up Dr. Wayne Dyer. When my mother stopped by with the book about intention, that was something really new to me because I wasn't even thinking about how I was possibly creating this situation or contributing to it in a significant way. 
But when you're dealing with something like foreclosure or whatever crisis, like your energy and thoughts are heavily invested in it. I was extremely worried about it. My husband was worried about it. And as you read in the book, my parents had their their uh, ties to the house. So they were really worried about it. The, the loss of the house was inevitable because we were all very sure that we were going to lose the house. Like there was nothing else that could come about because that's what our intentions were creating, even though we said we didn't want that. So that that was so once I read Dr. Wayne Dyer's book and I actually listened to that audiobook probably three or four times in the car, I really started to dig in deep to pay attention about what my intentions were when I took actions and the type of effects that I thought they might have on my family and even on my life going forward. That was probably a very long answer to your question. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it. I mean, but being, <laughs> being able to get out of that, you know, why me mentality and through meditation, you were able to really take that, which can be extremely difficult, you know, extremely difficult look at yourself and ask yourself those questions. Not that you were putting blame on yourself for any of that, but in seeing how how you were thinking was just kind of perpetuating it, like you said about the story, you know, how many times can you tell that story of what's going on and and what you're actually believing about what's happening? Right. And I, I think and then, that's so interesting to, you know, to, to, to have that. To address the why me, which, which I, I forgot to put that on at the end, I was going to say that I also read another book um, by Robert Schwartz called Your Soul's Plan. At the time, the book was entitled Courageous Soul, but that completely took away the why me, because I was thinking why me a lot. I mean, at one point I was thinking I was being punished for karma in a different life. Like I, I just was just thrown, like, how could this be happening to me? How could I have this financial experience when this was not the experience of my childhood. So when I read Your Soul's Plan, it really opened up a bigger perspective of the possibility of how on a much, much deeper level, our soul is creating experience for our for a higher purpose, for something that we are consciously unaware of, but a, uh, but a part of a much bigger plan that plays out in this life that we're living and whatever it is that we're supposed to be learning, participating and growing through and possibly even healing on some level. So once I read that and thought, oh, well, okay, so my intentions, intentions are creating my life, my thoughts and my consciousness, but there is a bigger purpose here and I'm not the victim. There is nothing happening to me here. This is happening through me and for me. So that, that really helped a lot. Right. I think making that distinction is really important and establishing a meditation practice, which was something that you, you hadn't really done before or hadn't been exposed to. Not not to this extent. I mean, I knew about meditation, of course, because you, you hear it so often that it, it can start to sound like just a, a cliche when people are saying, oh, meditation is helpful. It reduces stress, you know. It has a positive effect on physiological functions. But, you know, just like we often hear, oh, you should drink more water. You could be dismissive of it, you know, and you just go on with your life um, participating in habits that may not necessarily be the best for you. So I maybe dibbled and dabbled a little bit here and there, but it was nothing like I started to do when we were going through the uh, the financial crisis, because once I started meditating, 
uh, during the crisis, I was meditating consistently on a daily basis. It started to feel like something my body would crave. For example, you know, when you work out at the gym and you take a couple days off, like you're thinking about it and you, you feel like you're missing something physically, like you need to go back and exercise. And that's how I started to feel with the meditation. And I still feel that way now. Like if I miss like maybe like a couple days, I feel like my body is missing sitting in a meditative state. Right. You start to crave that and crave mm-hmm. that feeling of, of peace and being able to just have, you know, a little time with that stillness. And the real benefit, like what what I liked about reading your story in the book was how that meditation practice really opened up to begin a conversation with your higher self and how you were able to start accessing information that was really, you know, helping you get back on your feet and helping you make decisions. And I, and I think that's so important for, for people to realize, you know, when they're starting the practice, you know, it's going to take a little time. I mean, that's why they call it a practice. You know, you're going to experience things that you're not really used to, but it's going to initially or eventually open the door you know, to where you're going to be able to access that information and have um, that dialogue with yourself, with that higher self. And that's what I really liked that you showed in the book, how you explain that, you know, access to the guidance. And is that just something that's gotten, you know, stronger and stronger as, as you've gone on? I would say yes, yes. And let me address the, uh, the point about practice. The thing about when you develop, when you're starting out to develop a practice in the initial stages or the initial stage, the point is to continue, you know, because as you continue, you will see that it will become easier. You know, um, it, it in the beginning, your mind is like it, it's, the thoughts are just zipping through your mind like a runaway train, like they just don't stop. But as you continue to do it, you start to notice changes like, oh, I'm I'm having longer periods of silence. Like I'm noticing that that is simply a thought. It's not something that I have to latch on to. It's not something that I even have to believe, but it's something that just came up. Like you start to notice that you can actually be the observer, you know, and then you may get to a point as your practice continues where you may want to bring in other facets of the practice. So when I sit down to meditate, I'm not only, my intention is not solely to quiet my mind. That's a large intention, but it's not the only intention. Another intention is for me to sincerely, sincerely connect with a higher presence, to sincerely connect with the all being, the all knowing presence that permeates everything, to develop that connection so that it is very strong and so that I have something to to come to, you know, as we're moving through this world and we're facing challenges, something that helps to to ground me. So if you just do a little every day and set the intention and follow up on that intention, you will over a period of time see that you have a sustained practice because you've been doing it consistently every day. And then as far as connecting with a higher self, well, I, it's not just a belief for me at this point. It is a knowing that we are a part of something larger here and that we're not alone and that there is higher guidance that is available to us. We have to make ourselves available to it. 
and getting to a point of not knowing how we were going to feed the kids, how I would feed myself, how we would pay the bills. I did get reach a point of, I don't know what to do. I don't, I have no more answers for this. I don't know what to do. So my option was, let me just sit down and be quiet and see what comes through uncorrupted, what comes through in a natural, pure state, what can I make myself available to? So it was really just that for me. Now, of course, you may tailor the practice in your own way. You might do it in a different way. But in my experience, I was able to pose a question, sit in silence and just be, and information started to float in toward the left side of my awareness. And at first, yes, I was like, have I lost my mind? What is going on here? Have I just gone over the deep end from so much stress? And so then I also noticed that I couldn't remember it. So I would literally sit on the bed in dark with a pen and write down what was coming through. And then later that night or the next morning, I would get up and I would write it out neatly. And as I would reread over what came through through the meditation, it just made so much sense to me. And it always felt so loving when it came through, never directing me what to do, but it always felt very encouraging, supportive, and loving. And that moved me to a place of feeling like, oh, this is definitely something that I can trust. I'm not making this up. Right. And so often I think people, well, especially in the beginning when they're they're starting to, you know, initiate that dialogue and, and start a practice, you're right, you start thinking, oh, am I crazy or, or questioning that voice? Mm-hmm. You know, am I making this up? Does it really exist? And, and I think you're right, you know, the more, the more that you do it, and the more you you get quiet and pay attention, you will hear that voice, and you'll you'll be able to discern it from, you know, something that you think is just a, a random thought or something that is not real, but it is very real and available to everybody, no matter what. And I think you describe the way you access it so beautifully in the book, and it might be different for everybody, you know, how, how they get to that place. But it is there and available for everyone. So if people are thinking of starting a meditation practice, uh, you know, try it out. I mean, see see what works and see what works for you. Um, but it was really great to read your process. And I wanted to mention too, you know, when you're when you're starting meditation and maybe starting to really uh, work on prayer. And I like how you mentioned how your your form of prayer started to shift from, you know, please let me win the lotto, because I've had those prayers too, you know, and it, it just never worked. I, and you have like kind of that, no, that begging and pleading, you know. Just give me the numbers. <laughs> yeah, just give me the numbers, you know, I, I should be winning this. And and I love how you're able to make that shift of, you know, from kind of the, the pleading type of prayer, which, you know, we've all done, you know, oh, please, God, please, God. And to have that to be, I'm open to, to receive, I'm open to receive whatever you have to tell me kind of prayer, you know, and, and I think making that shift is really important. It, we, it we've is, all been there, right? Different. We've all been begging, mm-hmm. <laughs> begging for the lotto. It is very important because during those moments, I, what I talk about when I was literally like sitting on the bed, like maybe I didn't say please enough. Maybe I need to say it 15 times or maybe I really (laughs) need to put some desperation behind it. (laughs) That was like at a time when, you know, praying from an energetic 
place of I don't have it. And, 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 I, and I not only don't I have it, but I can't create it for myself. I have to look for an external factor, something outside of me to give me something that I'm thinking is abundant, to give me money. And so once I was able to get to a place of noting the many ways as we went through this situation when we could not make ends meet, the ways that grace unfolded in our lives via support or patience, um, extensions from from people in our lives, like it 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 was happening to an extent that it was just there was no way it could be delegated to a coincidence. Like it was it was just pure right. grace. And so from that perspective, I started to to shift into gratitude, to being grateful. Even in the midst of this hardship, there is so much that we still have to be grateful for. So I started to give thanks a lot. And that really shifts the energy of your prayer because it moves your energy from I don't have to I have. It's already within me. That's so true. And that's such an important point. I'm so glad you brought that up, that even in the midst of, you know, when it's all hitting the fan, right, we can Mm -hmm. find something to be grateful for, whether it's, you know, the peanut butter sandwich you're eating or, you know, the mailman was nice to me. I don't know. And, you know, any any small thing that we can be grateful for is is just so valuable. And it does. And it, it makes you shift. You know, it gives you that that internal shift. That, that's so important. And and also, I wanted to bring up, too, well, we have just a, f- a minute or two before the break, but, you know, being able to let go of that, that awful feeling of desperation and just surrender, you know, which can sometimes be confused with, well, I'm, I'm powerless, but, but surrender isn't powerlessness, right? It's just, absolutely okay, not. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for what's going to happen. Absolutely not. Because once I got to the point of surrender, I had been trying and trying, trying to find a job. I mean, I had been, I started volunteering at the spiritual center. I mean, it was difficult to get there. Sometimes we were having problems with the car. So sometimes I had to walk, but on the flip side, I could be grateful that we lived close enough for me to walk to the spiritual center. So once I I hit that wall of like, I've done everything I need to do, was when I realized it was time to surrender. Well, we're going to talk some more with Bridget Jackson Buckley about her experience in her book, The Gift of Crisis. Join the show. Share your story. 816-251-3555. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell, taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. 
One of the other aspects of helping to really identify a true new beginning is being willing to sit in deep questions and pay attention to your answers to those deep questions. Deep questions like, what does my soul really long to do and be? If I didn't have to worry about paying bills, what would I really want to do? I'm not suggesting that you drop the, the real responsibilities of adulthood, but you can drop that from your process of questioning. What does my heart and soul long for? And what do I need to do to begin to build my life, more of my life, to look like that? To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Know Yourself as Divine, Stations of the Cosmic Christ. A new book from Matthew Fox and Bishop Mark Andrus introduce a spiritual practice designed to help you realize the divine within. Combining prayer and an interpretation of the Stations of the Cross, featuring beautiful imagery, you will be led on a process of transformation. This book will help you discover the most caring, courageous, and compassionate parts of yourself. Get your copy today at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. The world is full of people with amazing stories. I'm Diane Ray, and make plans to join me every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Central for my radio show, Be Present. Each week, I invite you to join in the conversation as I talk to guests about health and wellness, spirituality, metaphysics, philosophy, and a lot more. I want to share information that you can apply to your life today. Listen live or download the show later on demand. I hope you can tune in here on unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me through the break here and welcome back to the show we are live. I like to say that we're li- <laughs> we're not taped. We're live. I'm live um, here on UnityOnlineRadio.org, and my guest today is Bridget Jackson Buckley, and we're talking about her book, The Gift of Crisis: How I Used Meditation to Go from Financial Failure to a Life of Purpose. And you know, so many of us have been there. We we're chatting a little bit about this during the break. How. You know, there must be something going on, right, Bridget, that all of mm-hmm. all of us, a lot of us, you know, are going through this kind of change and transformation and break down to build up again. And I just, you know, there must be some bigger plan in place, you know, and we'll all be stronger for it. And you're certainly stronger for the experience that you went through. And I wanted to touch on something that really struck me in the book, because I felt this a lot in um, my unemployment situations. And that's the feelings of shame, you know, and you don't want to face to yourself, to your friends, to your family that 
you're are where you are where you are, you know, and it's always that I I shouldn't be in this situation. It wasn't supposed to be this way. It shouldn't have happened this way, but it did, you know, and then just just dealing with that and 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 how you grow through that. And I, I just wanted to kind of touch on that, you know, hiding the hardship and trying to maintain a sense of normalcy because you're so ashamed and you felt like that as well, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Actually, that's the title of chapter four, Hiding the Hardship. And um, See, it was a whole chapter. <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole chapter of shame. Trying to hide that hardship. <laughs> yeah, people have asked me, you know, which is my favorite chapter in the book? And I, I really can't say that I have a favorite chapter, but if I were to line them all up uh, together, and if there was one that just stuck out a little bit, it would be chapter four, Hiding the Hardship. Because just associating shame and feeling so, so terribly embarrassed. Like I am educated, you know, I am completely apt to do so many jobs. I am employable, but here I am someone who can form uh, very articulate sentences and can have decent conversations with people, but yet we cannot feed ourselves. Like we're having a difficult time paying the bills. Like this is not something that's supposed to be happening to me. And it's not something that's supposed to be happening to my family in LA. This is not the life that I intended for myself. All of that was intertwined in, in chapter four. Like this is not the way you were raised. This is not something that you were used to. So that entire, and, and the extent that I went to, as, as I write about in chapter four, like being rude to our house guest because I wanted her to leave so quickly because I didn't want her to see, you know, that our cable was cut off, or, you know, or that, you know, we, the refrigerator was empty and I was willing to make my, to embarrass myself and to be so unkind to her so that she wouldn't be comfortable and just quickly leave so she wouldn't see how bad it was. And so it was at that time that I was really associating the external uh, circumstances with my sense of self, with my self-worth. And although situations like that, situations of financial crisis are very difficult and I can look back on it and and glean so much growth and insight from those situations. It doesn't mean I want to go through it again, but I, I am now in a place where I see that there is not a need to associate my self-worth with if I have this amount of money in my bank account, if I have lost a home to foreclosure, if we have difficulty paying our bills, because those are experiences that I have had in this life. They are not intertwined with my core self, with the I am presence, truly right. being it's not who, you. who I am. It's not me. So mm -hmm. once exactly. I truly got to that place, Diane, that's how I could write about these, these situations in the book because I am such a private person, but I would go to talks and listen to people talk about such private situations because they wanted help. And I would always, you know, be an audience member sitting and listening, thinking what courage it took for him or her to reveal something so, so private and, and so painful. And, and as I was reading the books and going through these talks, and as I said that I did want to be a writer, 
I started to feel like I wanted to write a book that would be very helpful, like a sincere, humble offering to people to see that you don't have to be embarrassed about these because they're experiences. They're not you. They're not parts of you. They're just experiences. But as we share ways that we can be our own inspiration and be our own adventure and find growth within ourselves, we can share that with people around us. We can write stories, we can we can share, create videos and we can form organizations and alliances. Well, this is how I work through my trauma. This is how I, this is the situation that the practice that I created to empower myself. That's That's what this is all about. So now I don't feel any embarrassment about all of that. It's something that happened before. It is not a reflection of me. No, and I love that you shared the story of going to apply for assistance and apply for food stamps and, you know, the oh, stigma uh, that you felt. And just, just reading that, I went, oh, wow. I mean, I I can totally understand that. I, I mean, I've, you know, sold jewelry and, you know, felt a lot of shame around that. You know, I'm like, here I am selling possessions, you know, and it's just, yeah. but it's just stuff, right? It It isn't. Yeah. It isn't me. I mean, it's still painful, but then, you know, it, it is just stuff. And then just also the lesson of, you know, asking for help because we don't want to show that vulnerable part of ourselves that, hey, we're having a hard time. And it's not it's not shameful to ask for help if you really need it. And, you know, you you needed it at that time. And then also like the realization of kind of looking around and seeing you know, hey, I'm not the only one in this situation, you know, um, right. I think that's a big, it's a big realization uh, that we're not, you know, we're not islands. And we do need to ask for help sometimes. Absolutely. And, it, and, okay. and then I'll say about the, the applying for the assistance from from the county services, the food stamps. Oh, that was a big one as far as shame. Oh, yeah. it, took, it, it definitely took me a while because we can be very caught up in that things are supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be able to do this. This is how it's all supposed to look. And so when you look at it like, okay, well, no, I really don't want to be in this situation, but some part of me has made choices and decisions that has brought this about. So what's underneath all this? What is there what can I take from this that helps me to have a more loving understanding of myself? And so one of the things that I did was start to just be grateful that we were actually eating and be grateful for the ways that support um, and finances were coming into our, they were coming, not necessarily in the traditional ways that we wanted them to come, you know, through and at the exact moment that we wanted them to come. But they were coming. And so I started to shift my attention from, I should be embarrassed. This is a travesty. Nobody with a UC Berkeley degree should be down here requesting, um, uh, you know, uh, finan uh, not financial assistance, but the, the food stamps and that sort of assistance. Right. But then also when I was down there, it also completely shattered the perception that I had of people who do seek out those services. Because when you go down to those facilities, you see that it is truly the melting pot. 
It's not what is being talked about in the news media, that it's a certain type of individual or a certain group of people. There are all types of people down there, which also speaks to what is going on in this country collectively. I mean, yes, we are all creating our experiences individually, but there is also a collective group experience that, that we are creating. And there's something underneath all of that for us to look at as, as a people. So I did start to kind of look at a little differently that, you know, we, we were getting to a point where we had food and we had healthcare and all of that. And so that was something to be grateful for. And I could shift from shame to gratitude with that. Right. And let, and letting go of that perception of, like you said, that it's a certain kind of person Mm -hmm. that, is in that situation because in reality, you know, like I said, if, if something like that happened to me, what you went through, I mean, really, if I looked at my finances right now, you know, I'd maybe be good for a couple of months and that's it. And I think that's the situation with a lot of people. And there's just, there's a whole, a whole group of people too, where, you know, they're, they're kind of like or borderline homeless or people living in their cars or using gyms as showers. I mean, I mean, you hear all these stories where people are trying to hide the situations that they're in and we're, we're all not, that's not a certain kind of person, you know, it can be anybody. And going through this process, what I thought was interesting too in the book was how you were able to uncover unconscious beliefs, like the one we're just talking about, but also beliefs about yourself. And that Mm -hmm. can be so powerful when you have those moments where, you know, you realize, well, why am, why am I believing this? What, what has happened in my life? Like, like one for me, for example, you know, I always had the belief of, well, you know, you have to work hard and people that have money, there's, you know, there are certain kind of people and, and you're not, you know, it's, so it's work, work, drudge, drudge, and that you have to just kill yourself, you know, to get ahead. And so I was brought up thinking that that's how it's supposed to be. So as a result, you know, things won't come easily because I have that belief it's supposed to be hard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of and then uncovering that. I just think it's interesting when you when you get those little those little light bulb moments, you know, like the aha moments you describe kind of popping off in your head. Oh, and I see I see where that belief came from. And were, was there anything that you can think of that kind of, you know, revealed itself in in this process, beliefs that you had? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the main one that comes up. There were a few because I so so it took me a while to 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 find work and 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 I can now say that that was I I I believe that that was a result of just extreme internal conflict within me because I was feeling like I wanted to do something creative more along the terms of writing when I was willing to listen to that voice within but I was so afraid. And I was just like, well, no, I got to do this. Like, I, I can't trust that internal voice. Like I have, I, I need to look for this. I need to do that. And it wasn't happening. So once I was volunteering at the spiritual center and that turned into full-time employment, then I really started looking at what I believed was possible for myself. I mean, it was, it was a fertile ground for spiritual reflection of what do you really believe is possible for yourself? Because I started to ask the bigger questions of why have I been willing to accept so little for myself? Why have I been willing to to believe that 
those people over there might be special and maybe there's something different about them that I can't have that life. Is there really something different about them? And then I changed my belief around that, that no, I don't, I really don't think there is anything different. I mean, we're all just people. We eat, sleep, use the restroom the same way. So the only thing is what we believe is possible for ourselves and what we're willing to do around those beliefs. And so once right, I started, it's so true. yeah, to really look at that, like I was doing a little bit more writing and I started to just say to myself, okay, with the internet, anybody is reachable. Anybody is accessible. I can reach out to anybody I want to and try to request a review. What's the possibilities that I can conceive of? They can either say yes or no. I have nothing to lose here. So I started doing that and I started getting people who were receptive to interviews. And then once I saw the Super Soul sessions coming up for OWN, I looked at that and I don't, I don't know what shifted in me, but I just looked at it and I made a declaration sitting in my office. I was supposed to be working on accounting work and I said, I am going to that as a writer. And I sat there and I was supposed to be doing some writing and I, I Googled to try to find like a communications person and I found someone within like 10 minutes and by the grace of God, the communications director responded immediately. And then the next thing you know, I was at the Super Soul Sessions as a part of the press roundtable interviewing Deepak Chopra, Iyanla Van Zandt, Elizabeth Gilbert. And I was like, what in the heck just happened? The only <laughs> thing that changed was what I believed was possible for myself because I started asking, well, why not me? Why not right. me? You gave yeah. yourself that permission. And, and that's so great. Yeah. I mean, we're so down on ourselves. You know, we don't realize yeah. that we're we're having that internal dialogue. And I've, I've certainly had those same conversations, too. Like, you know, are they that much smarter? You know, what, what do they know that I don't? You know, what am I doing wrong? And then also, like you said, giving yourself permission, you know, okay, what's the worst that can happen? The worst possible thing is they'll say no or, you know, they won't respond. You know, it's not going to be a total disaster. And you even know, if they were to your life would end okay too. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be okay too. I mean, if, if they say no, like you just can approach someone else or maybe approach them at a different time. And, and, and also in that yes or no, when you're reaching out to people or whatever it is that you want to do, there really does need to be a, 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 a space, Diane, where there is this non-attachment to the outcome. Because a, a lot of the times we will approach situations thinking that we know what it should be, what we want it to be, but there's something so much bigger here. So maybe I was thinking, okay, I need to be at Super Soul Sessions, you know, uh, because I want to meet Oprah. Maybe it's something like that. But maybe I got that opportunity to really have the chance to solidify that belief that you really can become what you believe. Because I, and, and ironically, I ended up launching the meditation for them, which that really coincided with my life, the 21 day become what you believe meditation. And really looking at that self-talk, what you're saying to yourself and what you believe is possible. And you can gauge that, I'll say, Diane, when you say something out loud, what is the physiological response that you feel in your body when you say something out loud. Like you could say, 
I won the the lotto, like we were talking about earlier. And there's something about that that just feels out of balance or off in your body. Or you could say, I am a phenomenal radio host. And you feel love around that in your body. You feel, it feels light. It feels airy and clear to you because you have a belief that there's truth in that. So I started to say things out loud to get more comfortable with hearing the words as, as, as that sound moved through my body so that the belief, could, the belief could be stronger within me. Right. And that's so important to mention too, of letting go of the outcome, because like you said, you don't know, it could be, and this is something I've always tried to tag on this or something better, you mm -hmm. know? So if it's not that exact thing, then maybe they'll save your name for something else and it'll be for something better than what you even imagined or, or couldn't even conceive at that moment. And we limit ourselves so much when we try to control the situation, uh, uh, you know, exactly of, of how things are going to roll out because we just don't know. <laughs> Not even the best psychic. And I've talked to a lot of them, you know, and I still think that, um, you know, ultimately it's not up, up to us sometimes to, to make that decision you know, make that choice. Exactly. It's so interesting. And, and you shared another great, um, mm -hmm. well, go, go ahead. And then I want to ask you this other question too, because this happened to me as well. Oh, I was just going to say, and that is one of the many gifts of the crisis because it contributed to a softening and an opening of my heart and a coming back to the beginner's mind, if you will, of humility that I know everything, yet I know nothing, because I know that I am bringing intentions that I want to do certain things in the world and make certain contributions into my community and, and into society. But opportunities and experiences come to me in ways that I cannot always anticipate. And there, there isn't really anything that has been very traditional or linear about, about my experience. So it just sh it shows me that I need to stay open and stay willing to let whatever needs to come to me come and not think that I know what everything should be and force every outcome. Exactly. And you know, when you're going through that, those experiences and you're open and then you get some great realizations. And I love this one you shared because this, this so happened to me where you had a great aha moment and you were working with a coworker that you just didn't really connect with, you know, or like, or resonate with and oh, having that yeah. realization <laughs> that she <laughs> held some of the same traits that you do. And I had this exact same thing happen with a, a difficult coworker. Although now looking back, I see that I wasn't a joy as well in the, in the situation, you know, but at the time I was just all so focused on, you know, I hate her, I hate her, I hate her guts, you know, and, and it's, I laugh at it now because I see my aha moment was, well, I have the same fears, you know, I have the same fear that she does of, well, I'm going to fail at this. I just, I can't do it. I, you know, I don't have the, the capability. Like I was having those fears and so, you know, after the fact, I could see and have compassion, you know, for the situation that we're really not that different. And I think those people in those situations are put in our path for a reason. And when you're open, you get those lessons. Absolutely. And it's so amazing. Like, I still remember my aha moment, too. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that was a, that was yeah, that was a that was a big one. That was interesting. Um, and absolutely, you you I I don't know that I could have said it any better, because you can look at people in your environment to find out so much about yourself. Who are you drawn to? Who do you feel a loving connection to, and why? What are their those highest qualities that you're drawn to. Similarly to the person that you feel repelled to, there is something in that quality that mimics something within you. That is why you are triggered by it. And that is the point of being willing to look at yourself to identify what is that? What is it? What is this here? There's so much feedback coming to us from our external environments giving us indicators of what we need to look at, what still seems to be unresolved, what parts of ourselves we're rejecting, what parts of ourselves that that we really love. And that was a, a big realization for me um, with the coworker when I realized, oh my gosh, she rubs me the wrong way because I'm exhibiting the exact same characteristics. That's why she bothers me. And that right. realization right there softened all of the energy around our interactions because I was able to take it in that it had nothing to do with her, nothing. It was me projecting onto her and not liking what I saw about myself. Right. And boy, is that like a cold bucket of cold water on your head when, <laughs> when you realize that. Um, yeah. I mean, I had I had a similar situation and, you know, looking back, like there's so many things I would have handled about, you know, different situations. Of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I realized, you know, a lot of it was my unhappiness of being in the in that current situation. I was I was just unhappy with so many things, not only my interactions with her, but you know, so many other things as a whole, you know, so that that was just such a great lesson for me that that I always still remember, you know, and and speaking of lessons, so, you know, now that you're kind of on on the other side, I mean, there's always going to be challenges, like you say, in the book, you know, the the one constant is change, right, we're, we're changing every every minute of every day. So when when you're out, and you're interacting with people, you know, and you see someone in the position that you were in a few years ago, you know, they're at the end of their rope, they're giving up. You know, what would you say now? What would you say to that person? Well, gosh, I mean, it's difficult to, to say something specific other than, you know, maybe sometimes platitudes that people don't necessarily want to hear. And so when I know that people are dealing with something that's very, very difficult, I physically approach the situation from a perspective of just total compassion and non-judgment and not and and by letting them know that I'm not looking at you judging you I'm not thinking that I know what it is that you're doing wrong here or something that you need to change I don't need to tell you any of that I know that you will come to understand, you will have your own internal realization of what this situation is bringing to your attention, what it is trying to give you. And so in those situations, I feel that my place is to hold and honor a space of loving compassion because there's there's no place, no way that I would be the person that I have grown to become today had I not gone through such difficulties because I feel like I'm so much more compassionate now and, and looking at people who are experiencing difficult situations, whether it's the homeless person that I see outside, someone having a difficult marital relationship, 
is that we can bring compassion to people and we can also hold a space of seeing them in the highest capacity, even if they cannot see themselves in that position at that time. Like I can see the abundance that's in your life, even if you can't see it. I can see the love that's there, even if you may be rejecting it. And when I look at you and interact with you, that is always what I'm looking for. I'm not going to preach and speak to you as if I have all the answers because I don't. But I can look for the highest in you and I can hold that space and know that you can elicit it. Right. Great answer. That's true. And I think the gift, like the gift of crisis would probably be compassion, you know, compassion Mm -hmm. for yourself and more and compassion for others, you know, and being able to uh, empathize with with their situation, you know, and you probably handle things a lot differently. It's been so great to talk with you. I mean, I, I hope people really give your book a read and check it out and maybe see some of themselves. I know I did. I saw a lot of myself in the book and I wish you so much success with this and with everything else as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Diane. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.